Michigan dominated Washington last night to win the CFP championship game. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the Sports Zone by longtime Sports Zone guest, Pete Futak, editor and publisher of collegefootballnews.com. And Pete, uh, let's start with Michigan. They did not run the ball as effectively this season as they had the last couple years, but last night 305 yards rushing, as it turns out. Why was Michigan so dominant running the ball last night? Uh, they're better than Washington. Uh, it, look, that <laughs> offensive line, you know, has been great all year. And that's everyone else, oh, what happened? You know, why did Michigan get so good so fast? I mean, beyond the controversy, the biggest key is over the last three years, they really locked down that offensive front where it became a powerhouse. They were able to use the transfer portal to get that one last missing piece or two each year for like each of the last three years. And all of a sudden, the, the offensive line just became something truly special. So uh, it, it was that good. Washington won the Joe Moore Award for the, having the best offensive line in the country. Uh, and Michigan certainly took a little bit of offense to that, and they played like it from the start. And Washington's defense has been like this all year. I mean, it's, it's, it's got talent. It's pretty good. It's just not great. And Michigan just was able to barrel away early. And then Washington said, all right, we're going to make J.J. McCarthy throw to beat us. And Michigan's like, nah, we don't really need to. And so they just played the field position game, and then it got boring, and then Michigan wins the national championship. <laughs> okay. And that offensive line was about Zach Zinter, who got hurt in the Ohio State-Michigan game, too. So even more yep. impressive because of that last night, right? Yep. Yeah, no, so it's just the – it's a machine. I mean, they just they found the right formula. They found the right guys. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes in college sports, it's, especially college football, you just get the teams with more talent. And Washington was good, obviously. Washington had talent. But this is, this is where the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world and the Ohio State, this is where they're just, this sport is just different. It's not like, you know, NFL or, or pro sports where you do have – you know, some teams are obviously got more guys and better talent, but the, the overall disparity isn't that great. In, in college football, when you get one team that just has the right formula and the right mix, uh, that's it. And this year, it was just Michigan was the team. It just was. It was just they had the right mix of uh, experience. I mean, these guys have been their third round in the college football playoff. I mean, they've been used to this. So this was not uh, – you know, totally shocking considering, again, the experience and the level that they've been able to get to after uh, building it up for so long under Harbaugh. Okay, so let's flip this to the defensive side, which was great much of the season. We wondered about the schedule, how good was the defense and so forth, at least until the last couple of games of the regular season and then obviously the last two weeks. In an era where tackling is seemingly down from the past years and far from impressive, why has Michigan become such a good tackling team? How do teams do that? I mean, that, you just said that's straight talent. I mean, that's just to be able to coach it right. That's be able to get the right guys. And, you know, that's if you watch from Saturdays to Sundays, what's the difference? The NFL defense, the 170-pound defensive backs can tackle the 230-pound guys. And it's just that it's a next level skill that not a lot of players have. And that's the that's one of the big differences between the big time teams and the okay teams is that you know, you could you could be tough, you could ball out a little, but you gotta have defensive backs across the board that can make stops. 
And that's just having that's just recruiting really, really good players. And that was the difference last night because Michigan just basically said to Washington, "We're not giving you that deep shot. We'll let you ding, we'll, we'll let you hit those 10, 10 yard plays as much as you want because we'll you hit this hit those little throws. We'll tackle you." and then we'll bend, but we won't break. And sure enough, there was one touchdown drive and two field goal drives. So they just kind of let it dink, dink, dink. And then when they get the red zone, Michigan's been amazing all season long uh, when it came to um, just, just kind of getting their back to the wall and just settling for field goals, and they'll get a touchdown, and then everything's okay. You know, the NFL community seems to believe that Jim Harbaugh is off to the NFL I think it's certainly the right time for him to leave after the winning a championship. Uh, do you believe he's out of there? Not really. I mean, there's so many parts to this. I mean, are, is this going to get vacated? Are they going to, or is Michigan going to be hamstrung over the next year or so? You know, it's, it's one thing to have to, uh, you know, say, okay, well, we're going to take away this national championship or something. Nobody cares. But if Harbaugh is suspended for a year, does he want to deal with that? Probably not. You know, so it's a lot depends on where that falls in. And remember when it comes to Harbaugh that even more than most coaches, they just they talk. They, it, this has happened before. They like to field offers. And unlike everyone else, they're open about it. They're like, yeah, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll listen to everybody. We want to hear everyone's, you know, best pitch. So I'm not a 1,000% sure that this is an absolute done deal that he's gone. But there are NFL teams that absolutely want him. There absolutely, you could, it's, there's a place for him, whether it's the Raiders or maybe the Bears or the, uh, the Commanders. So it is a poss- it is there. But if he's not, if if you take the possible NCAA sanctions that could happen off the table, I would say it's fifty fifty because this has happened before. They like to talk that he gets a little bit of an extension and then he stays where he really loves to be there. If he leaves, is Sharon Moore the obvious successor to be the next head coach? You got to say at least he's got to be the front runner. I mean, it's it's Michigan, so you you open it up to everybody. I mean, there are just certain jobs that they can get anybody they want, short of you know Saban at this point. I mean, you know, if you want to get a Lane Kiffin, he, yeah, you, he would take Michigan in a heartbeat. I mean, you name you name the head coach. Other than the guys who are already at the elite spots, forget Lincoln Riley, forget you know Kirby Smart, and you're saying it's Michigan, and you are going to get your pick of anybody you want. So at the very least, Sharon Moore would be in the in at the front and center of that line. JJ McCarthy, uh, should he leave for the NFL now? I don't get it. Like I and, and pro scouts are just in love with the the skill set and the upside. But you saw it last night. I mean, he played cautious. You could tell that Michigan, uh, you could could just hear the coaches in his head. Just don't make the mistake. Don't force anything. We got this. Do anything you can. Just don't make a throw that isn't 1,000% there. Uh, And it almost cost him a little bit. I mean, had Penix hit a couple of those throws, this game changes. But uh, this is a tough year. I mean, because start with Caleb Williams and Drake May and Penix and Jaden Daniels. I mean, there's a lot of good talent out there coming out in this draft, at least up high. So if you're J.J. McCarthy and the potential is there to have, you know, be a top 10 overall pick, at least in terms of skill set, I don't think he'd come out this year. And, you know, going back to the Harbaugh thing, I mean, he's already starting to talk about spring practice. He's already hinting that, hey, J.J., come back for another year. 
You know, it's so it, there's a whole lot of parts in play here right now. Okay, you know, aside from the Harbaugh and McCarthy thing, there's 44 seniors on this roster. You mentioned how they, you know, last three years they've been in the playoffs and so forth. Uh, you know, they also have a seeming, you know, without question, a much more difficult schedule next season. So how good might Michigan be in 2024? Good enough to get into the playoffs. And, again, the, the goal the, – you kind of alluded to this. The goalposts change now, whereas before you have to go 13-0. and 0. You have to go 12-1 and 1 to even be in the mix for the college football playoff. Two losses and you're out. Forget it. And even if you do go 13-0, and 0, it's not guaranteed anything. But even though maybe Michigan did, it would get in every year. Uh, so it's, it's a different animal before. Now it's just get in the top 11. Because that twelfth is going to be the you know the cookie thrown into the group of five champion just to you know get to the twelfth spot to you know see what it can do. Uh, so you got to get into the top eleven. And if you're Michigan, no matter what, no matter who you lose, no matter who you are, your goal every year has got to be be one of those top eleven teams. And that's it. You know that that's your goal. If you can get there, you get in the tournament. Then who knows where we're going from there. Uh, obviously, you want to be in the top four going forward because you get a bye week, which was going to mean everything. Uh, but for now, if you're Michigan, if you're Ohio State, if you're Alabama, if you're Georgia, if you're one of the big guys, you're going into the season. First and foremost, you want to win a national championship, obviously, but you got to get there first. And now going forward, there is no excuse. Get in the top 11 and then see what you can do. College football uh, news discussion or college football talk discussion here with Pete Futak from collegefootballnews.com. <laughs> I, I needed that was not my best sentence of all time. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. Let's flip to the Washington side. Before he was, you know, he was certainly physically ailing at some point there in the second half. But before that, it seemed like he was thrown off his back foot last night, even when he wasn't rushed uh, and had some time to throw. Why was he so in, ineffective last night? Just had a rough night. And give Michigan credit for this one because they figured something out. And that, it was kind of a thing where everyone who didn't watch Washington all year, anyone who didn't on the East Coast who didn't stay up till 2 a.m. to watch the Stanford game or the Arizona State game or didn't have the Pac-12 network, you know, Penix had those games. It's not like he mm-hmm. was coming out there and winging it. He led the nation in passing, but it's not like he came out and hit 75% of his passes for 400 yards every game out. He had a couple games, a bunch of games where – he, he was just off. He just didn't have, you know, he, he hit enough big plays to overcome the other parts. But he was not exactly consistent. And text, the, the, the book on Penix in this Kalen DeBoer offense was just get to the backfield. Get just disrupted. You're not going to get a sack because Washington's style play and the offensive line, they only gave up one sack last night. They just, that line just doesn't give up sacks. But if you pressure him – He's smart enough and good enough where he can get the ball out of his hands uh, quickly and make a, make some sort of a play. Uh, but when they really kill you is that when he gets time on those deep shots, and what was he, like 0 for 6 in the, going into the fourth quarter on the, mm-hmm. the throws of 20 yards or more? It just He just wasn't quite on. Texas figured that out. Texas was able to get to him, but he was able to move well enough where he was able to make those deep shots happen. Michigan, like I said, figured something out. They they, they didn't rush everybody, but they had some pretty neat timed designs where they would send guys from different areas just enough where from the outside where he couldn't get out of the way, where Texas was able to collapse from the inside and Penix could sidestep everything and make something happen. 
Michigan was coming from the outside with the speed guy where Penix, he could elude it or get rid of it fast enough, but he didn't have the time to really set his feet in fire. And that just made those couple plays where he did have those moments that much more glaring because he just couldn't, you know, make those things happen, especially on that one fourth down to a Tuesday. Running back Dylan Johnson got injured in the first play, got injured again in the, his first carry, in fact, last night. And it was not really a running threat the rest of the game and they didn't have anybody else. How much did that alter uh, Washington's offensive approach, do you think? It didn't help. I mean, you're not running against Michigan anyway. Uh, and if you don't have any sort of physical pound up front, uh, it's, it was going to have to be Penix or Penix or nothing. And look, it, the, the final score in history is going to be, you know, read 31-13. It was, a, you know, the sixth straight college football playoff blow up. But, that was they were still driving. I mean, it was still 17-10, you know, late in the third. I mean, they were still just they were still close in this thing. This thing wasn't uh, out of reach for the Huskies. They and even when they were down by two touchdowns, they were still they were driving with four and a half minutes to go. You get that touchdown and you come up with a stop and game on. So and that's where Washington had lived all year, where they would come come from behind late and win those close games. So it was still it was still happening. They still found a way to do it, even without Dylan Johnson. They just needed Penix and that offense to be just a little bit better. Uh, Penix was like you said, he was he was beaten up. He was hurt and coming off the field. He did what he could, threw it fifty one times. But give I mean that's the number one defense in the country. I mean that's Michigan's D. I mean that's you can't really blame Penix for for last night and not being amazing because he was very good. He just he just needed to hit a couple more throws, and that might have been a little bit different at the end. Washington's also losing plenty of players off to the Big Ten. How good will the Huskies be next season? You know, this is going to be crazy going forward because they are good, but they do play. They, I think at Washington, I, mean, I think at Michigan in Seattle. I think it's like October eighth or something. Uh, but they get they have to go to Penn State. They got to go to Oregon. They get used to. I mean, it's, these schedules are going to be crazy. I mean, these there's no ducking teams now. I mean, there's this is going to these new conferences of the Big Ten and uh, especially SEC uh, going forward. It's going to be a weekly grind. So they're still going to be good because that Kalen DeBoer offense is is just that strong. It was great at Florida, at Fresno State. It was great from the start at Washington. It's going to still work. They're still going to get NFL-caliber receivers there. You're still going to get guys who are going to want to run that offense. Uh, so it's still, they're still going to be a very, very, very dangerous team. But you don't have years like this twice, where they, you know, eight of their last ten games were decided by eight points or fewer, and the two that weren't, the USC game and the uh, Stanford game, those were both really close late. Uh, so it was you don't get those games where you win every tight game. So this was a special team, a special season for them, and it was great. They just came up short. We're talking with Pete Futak from collegefootballnews.com. Okay, beyond the CFP, uh, the college bowl system, does it need to be altered? And if so, how would you do it? Other than the college football playoff games, uh, you know, does it need to be addressed in some shape or form? No, well, to, to live in the land of the real, you can't. Because as soon as you start getting gimmicky with it, you have the Pro Bowl, and nobody that was just stupid. You know the Pro. You know who cares about these the Pro Bowl skills challenge? I mean, you can't alter it. So, and you can't really change the timing of stuff because you're going to have coaches who are going to leave. You're going to have players who are going to want to opt out because why am I playing in this thing? 
So going forward, you're going to have an interesting mix, and you're going to have you know, you're going to have the teams like it's going to be Ohio versus Utah State, where you're not going to have guys who are going to necessarily transfer, and you're not going to have guys who are going to opt out for the NFL, and those are going to be a little bit representative of the the season. So that those are going to be your your normal mid December bowl games, and then there's going to be kind of an ugly middle level where you're going to have the you know, the, the teams, the, the power four teams who are ranked somewhere between, you know, 15 and 25, and they're going to lose all their guys. They're going to have the opt-outs. They're going to have the transfers, and they're just going to be fun exhibitions, kind of like the Bulls have become now. But I think what's being underplayed is just how massive the new college football playoff is going to be. It just, as is, these bowl games are exhibitions, and they sort of stink, but people watch them. Now, if you're talking from December, and from the first of all, the conference championships are going to take on a whole new meaning because as of now, like look at this year, like Iowa didn't have a shot, but if Iowa had pulled off the upset over Michigan, it's in the CFP. You know, if Oklahoma State had pulled off the upset over Texas, it's in the college football playoff. So now you're going to see these conference championships turn into somewhat like like first round playoff games because the winners of those are going to be automatically in. So starting from the first week of December on through now for a solid month, college football playoff is going to take over sports. I mean, maybe not the NFL, because the NFL is the NFL, but it's going to make a dent because it is going to be a massive, massive cultural thing that is going to take over December. You mentioned uh, we talked about Washington's schedule and how you know in the SEC and the Big Ten are they're going to have you know it's a murderer's row for some of these teams. Do you think that's actually good for the sport? Does the regular season schedule increasing in, in difficulty? Oh, by yeah, it, it has to because there is, is there there's a rhythm to the season. I get why you want to play Central Cream Puff Tech, and I get why you need to build up the. Uh, the wins. I mean, look at the 2020 season where you had uh, all SEC schedules, and I think I think the stat was something crazy that out of the 14 SEC teams in 2020, I think some, I could have this wrong. I think only like five had a winning record or didn't have losing records. I mean, because they all beat up on each other. So mm-hmm. if you're a you know if you're a Mississippi State, you, you, people get fired when you go four and eight, and you can't play Alabama, then LSU, then Texas A&M, and then Texas, and you, you've got to have some teams in there. But the more good games, the more big games, the better. And if you look at these schedules, it's like, oh, my, dear Lord. I mean, look at look at Texas has to do. Look what Oklahoma's going to get. I mean, you're going to see some real nasty schedules going forward, and it's going to make the sport a lot more fun. Okay, so last up, uh, we're into the off season now, kind of unofficially. I guess we you know, still have like a – I guess it's like a 24-hour window, and we really move on. Uh, it's just starting next year. So what are some off-season storylines that we should look forward to? I would be shocked if it isn't quiet. I mean, after all the tumultuous stuff of the last year with all the, the conference realignment, I don't think we're going to see anything massive. I think You're going to see some sort of a deal where, you know, the Pac-12 is going to maybe revive itself in some way in brand name with the Mountain West, maybe, or something like that. But you're not going to see, I mean, you're not going to have the seismic change where, you know, gosh, Oregon, all of a sudden, Oregon and Washington went from, oh, we're Pac-12 mainstays to one bad presentation later, they're in the Big Ten. 
And you're just not going to have these massively dramatic things. You are going to see a bunch of really boring stuff like legislation on the transfer portal and, you know, trying to figure out timings of things. So nobody really cares. As soon as the ball gets kicked off, everyone's happy. I can't wait till the ball is kicked off again. All right. Pete, always good talking to you. We appreciate it. We always appreciate you having on, coming on. So especially today, I'm sure you're in hot demand after uh, the time of the year and so forth. So thanks for joining us. You have a good one. Pete, you too. Pete Futak from collegefootballnews.com. And as I mentioned, he's been on many years and he's the man uh, in college football. And uh, once again, uh, you know, kudos to Kaler for uh, you know getting him on today. I mean, this is a, you know, the timing of him on today is perfect. So that was great. So,